G'day there, everybody. Aaron Noonan here. Welcome along to Episode 7 of the Motor Focus Model Podcast. Now, before we get rolling into this episode of the podcast, I just wanted to quickly apologize that some of the audio quality in this episode wasn't as flash or as good as we would otherwise like it to be. We had a couple of technical problems and not in a position to re-record the show. So uh, it's only small, but it's not quite the level that we would like it to be. I think you'll find that the content is great. Will Hall gives us plenty of amazing chat. There's plenty of things to discuss in episode seven, but I just wanted to put in this very quick note before we started to apologize for the audio not quite being at its regular levels. Anyway, I hope you enjoy episode seven of the Motorfocus. Model Podcast. Let's roll. G'day everybody, welcome back to the Motor Focus Model Podcast. It is episode seven. Who would have thought we'd get through one, two, three, four, five, six, we're up to seven. Hey Dimitri Camino's back with me from Motor Focus and Tim, we've got a, another big podcast, lots of new releases, lots of stuff to talk about, and a very special guest too. Uh, good morning and welcome to you as we record this. Great names. Uh, yeah, very excited for this one, uh, having William Hall on today and uh, really been enjoying the racing on TV with the, the supercars and the, and the MotoGP. So uh, let's take it away. Yeah, big weekend, supercars in Darwin with Scotty McLaughlin. Well, he won the triple crown that wasn't the triple crown that probably should have been a triple crown, I guess you could say. Uh, MotoGP in Austria was stunning again, uh, turning probably the best racing that we'll ever see. Uh, Takuma Sato wins his second Indy 500. There was plenty going on. It's great to have racing back on the box, albeit uh, we live in these COVID times, and it's a little bit different from how we've had it in the past. Let's rip in, though, Dim. Uh, if you're a fan of Ford Sierras, and I know that there's a lot of our listeners who are, uh, good news from Apex Replicas with a, an important Moffat car coming through. Yeah, so Apex have released another Sierra in, in the recent couple of weeks. So this one's the Alan Moffat Hansford uh, Ford Sierra that uh, claimed the win at the Sandown 500 in 1988. So it's, again, very low run on that one. And that's the ANZ car. That's the, the Eggenberger car that Alan bought and brought out to Australia. So that was his last win on Australian soil because, remember, his last win was at Fuji in Japan a few years later. Uh, not in the next year, was his last yeah. uh, race uh, on his 50th birthday and won the race and uh, quietly, without fanfare or public announcements or media releases, uh, decided that's it. I'm going to stop racing. And uh, obviously he still ran cars, but he, uh, he no longer raced. He did practice the next year at Bathurst, but didn't compete uh, in the race on the Sunday. So, yeah, it's an important one for Moffat fans. And I guess um, if anyone's looking to do a, another Moffat Sierra iteration, uh, a, a Fuji car of uh, Moffat and Klaus Needsvitz would be a, a good one to do down the track. Hey, uh, we've talked on the podcast in the last few weeks, Dim, about um, uh, not just the model cars, but things to go with them. And when it comes to uh, mechanic figurines, vending machines, there's a few of those popping out. Yeah, we've recently received a, a really big uh, shipment of that sort of gear. So I won't get in too much detail, but it's all on our website in the new arrival section. So, yeah, mechanic figurines, some other little pieces. There's um, photo booth sort of uh, style uh, lighting systems that um, you can you can dress up your collection as well. So uh, something definitely worth checking out. There's something 
popping up all the time to go with model cars. I swear that there's no end to these little accessories that people are coming up with. If you're into your ramp trucks as well, there's some, some good news too. Yeah, following on from when they released the Moffat ramp truck, we've, we've now got a couple of others. Uh, we've got a 1970 Dodge in red and we've got a 1967 Chevy C30 in red as well. So these are the ones with the, the ramp on the back that, that comfortably fit the 118th you know, road car, race car. Uh, so really, really cool sort of way to uh, add another dimension to your collection as well. Cool. If you're a Dodge man or a Chevy man, that's one to definitely grab from uh, Motor Focus. We talked about uh, briefly before about the, the website, motorfocus.com.au. And of course, there's uh, the Collectors Club to join. 5% discount uh, is definitely worth getting among if you're a model enthusiast and hooking up with the guys from uh, Motor Focus via the website. Uh, not just model cars at Motor Focus, by the way. Uh, a couple of other little things that have popped through in the last few weeks as well that are oh, a little bit exciting for both of us. Well, we've got this great new book, uh, Bathurst Going Global, 10 Years of Australia's International Enduro. So you can uh, probably tell us a little bit more about that than me, but yeah, great book. I've had a flick through it and really, really cool. Yeah, it's the 10-year uh, celebration of GT cars in the Bathurst 12-hour. So uh, linked up with that one on Richard Crail, who, of course, uh, with Richard, who's the voice and face of the 12-hour for, for many, many years. He's written the uh, the chapters that go through each of the year's races. And the, the, the real stunning part of this is that there's a photo of every car from every year, which I think it's about 580-odd photos to um, to have all the cars, plus the cars that didn't start the race, a couple that have been binned in qualifying and practice and uh, a few that didn't make the cut in previous years with mechanical drama. So we've got a photo of all of them, uh, 320 pages, hardcover, um, we've only done 1,200 copies of this book. So I know your first shipment went pretty quickly and you've needed to restock. So uh, if you're keen on that for a, maybe a quick Father's Day present last minute or um, Christmas coming down the track soon, uh, definitely one to, to get among. And it's great to have uh, Motor Focus stocking our books. And there's a few more of those projects coming uh, uh, in, in, the, uh, in the near future. Uh, Pre-order wise, um, we talked about the, the Sierra before, we've talked about the ramp trucks. Uh, Holden listeners are wondering, when are you gonna talk about something for us boys? Well, good news in pre-order land from Classic Collectibles, uh, an LJ Tirana GTR XU1, which warms the hearts of Holden fans and six cylinder enthusiasts around the country. Uh, what color is this in though? Because it could be read quite wrongly if you get this wrong. Yeah, it's the uh, beautiful little purple, which is a purple. But classic <laughs> collectibles. Uh, so it's purple, two words, but it's purple. Is that how it works? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. A gorgeous little colour. And classic collectibles, uh, LJ Tirana, the XU1, is a, is a great little model. Excellent detail. So definitely one worth checking out and pre-ordering so you don't miss out. Another thing that I didn't think we'd ever speak about on this podcast, because primarily it's about model cars, but we've talked accessories, a little bit of books. We're going to talk puzzles as well. Uh, and something that Authentic Collectibles, who we're going to speak to Will Hall very soon, um, have come up with in very recent times. But this is really cool. Uh, artwork puzzles. Um, Greg McNeil is a fantastic automotive artist who's done some amazing works over the years, done a lot of stuff. Uh, relating to Dick Johnson's cars and um, and history. And they've brought out uh, thousand piece jigsaws uh, of some of his artworks, which is if, if you see those puzzles in the shops and you think, 
oh, a skyline or a, and I don't mean the car, I mean of a, of a particular city or a, uh, all those sorts of things don't grab your fancy. A bit of automotive art most definitely will turn you into a bit, bit of a puzzle enthusiast, particularly in the COVID times where puzzles are all the rage. Yeah, for sure. So it was a, it was a little bit different for us to see an order form from Authentics uh, for puzzles, but, you know, they're showing their diversity, what, the, what they're up to. And so there's the three different ones. There's the Clash of the Titans, which is uh, Dick Johnson and, and Brock. Uh, I think that's at Lakeside. Yeah. We've got the uh, True Blue Rockstar one and the 1994 Bathurst winning uh, EB Falcon. So, yeah, they're great pieces of artwork, even just as art. But as, as puzzles, um, you've got to do your own work to put that artwork together, don't you? So um, yeah. great to see. More new releases uh, on the website too in the new arrival section, as Jim mentioned a little bit earlier on. Uh, earlier on. Uh, we've had a couple of guests on this podcast in the last couple of editions, uh, Dimitri. And on this one, it's probably a good segue from Authentic Collectibles product into Authentic Collectibles uh, chief head honcho, MD, Grand Poobah, all around good bloke. Um, I think I've covered it all off there. Will Hall, welcome to the Motor Focus Model Podcast. I think that just about covers it off, doesn't it? I think I ticked all the boxes there. <laughs> I one or two, but they were probably the seventh and eighth in line. So, <laughs> hey, tell me, um, we just covered it off then before you joined us, but puzzles, that's a bit different, but pretty cool. We, um, we don't mind a bit of art, as you well know. We, we've, we've produced the odd, uh, the odd bit of artwork across the years, so this is just in model kit form. You've got to build it yourself. got to build it yourself. It's I think it's only fair. It's boring when a puzzle turns up already done for you, doesn't it? That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I mean, you could technically, I guess, take a pair of scissors to one of our posters, but we don't <laughs> recommend it. So we've taken, uh, we've taken the shears to it for you, and now you've just got to put it all back together. One of the great things when we have a guest on this podcast, as Dimitri and I have learned in the last what couple of weeks, couple of months, uh, the model enthusiasts, they come running with questions. And we've got a very big bank of questions for, for you on this special podcast. But Dimitri, you've got some of your own ready lined up, ready to go. What, well, you can start the batting. You, you go for yeah, it. Here, here comes the grilling. Here we go. Here, here comes, comes the, the grilling. Last bowler from the Paddington end. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll pad up and open. So, Will, great to have you on and, and thanks for, for being available. Mate, one of your biggest uh, releases to come is obviously the Mustang production. So would it be, uh, be great to get sort of an update on, on how that's all coming along and what, what your sort of release schedule is looking like? I thought it was um, the, the 2016 Freightliner retro car that was the most important car we were making in the, in the future. No, is it the Mustang? I, I, was got the getting, memo. I was getting to that one, but hey. Oh, right, 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 right. I didn't get the memo about the Mustang. I, I must have missed that. No, obviously the Mustang's really important for us. We've, um, it's, it's been 18 months in the making and, and I'm, I'm glad to say it's now in production. It's just with, uh, with the Bathurst winner being first cab off the rank, which is a bit of a, a joint decision between ourselves, uh, collectors and, and the team. Um, that takes a long time to produce because we're, we're going to be up over the 5,000 mark. So it's now just a, an issue of it, it, takes, it takes a set amount of time to, to produce these things. So we're kind of in a little, uh, I guess, lull in terms of having anything to necessarily talk about um, with them simply because they're, they're in production, they're being made. So hopefully we'll have them in October. Um, all, all things being equal and no other issues with freight and all those sorts of things that, that the world's struggling with at the moment. 
Um, so definitely, definitely a, a pre end of the year. Let's just say that. Um, and then once the Bathurst winner's out, then we'll obviously roll out with all of our our other Tickford cars and Shell cars and and all the other Mustangs that we've got uh, we've got on the schedule. Perhaps the most exciting Mustang, though, Dimitri, that a lot of people probably haven't stopped to think about, though, that clearly will outsell McLaughlin is the Sleuth Mustang. Tom Randall's end wildcard car will outdo McLaughlin for sure, no doubt. It'll be a yeah. winner. Yeah, because oh, absolutely. I've had a few orders from um, from a from a gentleman in Melbourne. I, I, I'm not entirely sure who he is, but I know he's got an order in, and it's quite a few. I, I'm not maybe he's getting one for every room in his house. I'm not entirely sure why. And office as well, by the way. And office as well, and there's a few rooms in his office too. I'll get to tell you quietly. <laughs> so, well, when you talk about you know the the production, what sort of quantity can your factory produce per week? Is that how you look at it? Yeah, basically. And with a new model that like the Mustang, it, it sort of is a little bit longer. So normally we would we would throw something at it first that was maybe a, a lower run just to kind of get the factory ease the factory into the new tool. Um, but in this instance we've kind of we've taken an alternative approach and, and going hard early. Um, so it can be anywhere from sort of three fifty to four fifty a week. So as I say, when when you start talking five, six thousand units, it just takes a long time. So we, as I say, we're kind of in this holding pattern as the factory uh, factory smashes them out for us. Okay. Given, given this, I was going to say, Jim, given the the challenges of the world changing in February, March, and um, obviously you're relying on uh, production being offshore. Uh, had COVID not struck and some of those complications and challenges. What sort of a change or what sort of a time frame has that added to your to your process? Because that's all out of your hands and out of everyone's hands, really. Yeah, out of everyone's hands. I think it's probably added sort of three, maybe four months delay to the process. Um, you always sort of, you know, Chinese New Year is always an issue that rolled into what happened with COVID or what is happening with COVID. Um, staffing is always an issue in China nowadays. Um, you know, and, and I'm sort of trying to be careful here not to cover off things that have already been said by a, a previous manufacturer. Um, but we, we are facing all the same challenges. So, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to just keep hitting repeat. We've heard it all before. So, um, yeah, it definitely, it's, it's added a little bit. It hasn't added a lot. You know, the biggest issue for us probably with Mustang was, was the uncertainty of Mustang at the beginning of last year. Um, we're in a situation where, you know, a mould costs us anywhere up to sort of 150K, depending on exchange rates, et cetera. Um, so we're in a situation where you want to you wanna commit to what is effectively a final product. And Mustang last year, as everyone knows and has been widely reported, we didn't know if it was going to be turned upside down and inside out. Um, by the regulator. Um, so from that point of view, we kind of, you know, we're a little bit circumspect in how quickly we hit it last year, um, which has then added to the, to the delays, you know, at, well, delay is the wrong word, um, it, how long it's taken <laughs> at this end. So um, that, that was probably more of a challenge with, with the Mustang than we've seen before. Race cars also pose that, that interesting conundrum for us where if we were developing a mould for a road car, we wouldn't necessarily tell 
the general populace that that's what we were doing. We certainly wouldn't tell our competitors that that's what we were doing. We kind of keep our powder dry for a while. Um, and so at the point where we told the world or tell the world that we're doing something, um, we, are, we are quite in control of our own destiny. With a race car, um, the world sees it. The world sees it day, day one. Everyone knows what our um, where our allegiances lie in terms of where we're throwing sponsorship dollars and the like. So there is that expectation from the day the car hits the track that we're probably already six months down the road with development, and it's simply not the case. So um, in in that situation, the the pressure mounts very very quickly, and I think there might be an, an Erebus question coming up shortly around uh, around ZBs and and. Again, it's the same thing. The car was raced. So why don't I have the model car and why didn't I deliver it to you yesterday sort of thing. So there's, there's also managing those expectations that when it comes to race cars, it becomes a lot more challenging for us. Now, Will, the other elephant in the room will just knock it out of the park right now. That's a bit rude. I know I'm a little bit overweight at the moment, but calling me an <laughs> elephant's a bit harsh. <laughs> uh, the recent... Um announcements of price rises like no one likes them but you know we understand it it happens so can you just let our listeners know what what sort of were the the factors that that brought you to that point Uh, effectively it's just the economics of it so exchange rate is is the big one and again it's not it's not necessarily easy to explain because you don't know when invoices are generated and when things are paid for. So that's where, that's where it becomes, you know, a bit, I guess, unpalatable is, is probably the best way of putting it from a collector point of view. Um, but at the end of the day, if I've, if I've paid a whacking great invoice for tooling or something, when, when we were down in the sixties, um, Sure, it may have bounced back into the 70s, but that, that didn't affect that invoice. So that's where, you know, it, it's just, as I say, it's just the, the economics of it. Nothing's getting any cheaper. China are putting through price rises every five minutes, really. And we absorbed them for sort of as long as we could. Um, but at the end of the day, something's going something's gonna to break. We, we I, um, in a previous life, we're very committed to trying to ensure that we kept supercars under 200 bucks. That was, that was my real target and my goal when we, particularly when we went into car of the future and my sentiment hasn't really changed in that, in that I would really like it to still be producing one eighteenths for under the $200 mark at the detail level that we are doing. Um, but it's simply not possible and unfortunately we don't run a charity um we all have mortgages we all have people we need to be paying the bills to so at the end of the day something's got to give and it's it's the price unfortunately okay all right brain teaser time Um, oh god we do a secondhand market sort of we look at things that have uh, been out and, and gone up in price and highly collectible as far as authentic collectible models goes, what do you think are, say, the top couple of uh, models that you've released that have shot through the roof? It's, it's really difficult to, to second-guess the market, I guess is the best way of putting it. You know, you, you would argue that the McLaughlin Bathurst winner that we're about to produce is going to be the most valuable car we've ever made because demand is so high. Because demand is high, I'm making plenty of them. 
to cover our pre-orders. So that's just how the system works. Whereas, you know, the the range of VFs that we're just about to drop, which is the Freightliner, the BOC, the Techno Car back from sort of 16, 17, we have very few orders for those. So I, I sort of fully expect that they're going to be the ones that are going to be really quite sought after and mm-hmm. command a high price. Again, one of the one of the highest value V8 supercars around the place at the moment is is Andy Jones's Cat Commodore, because we only did three hundred of them. It, sorry, we I'm using the collective we again as as an industry from a from a previous life, um, and and that was an exclusive run for for West Track over here in WA. Who'd have thought? Yeah. Well. Let me give you... Great looking ring. Wish I had another box of them, but <laughs> anyway. I'll give, you, I'll give you my answer. The, the 2019 David Reynolds Newcastle Kiss car has uh, really shot up and uh, people are sort of asking around $600 for that now. Uh, the Bathurst winner from 2007, another Erebus car, fetching about 500 bucks and the beautiful Scotty McLaughlin first drive car you did for the Expo, uh, can sort of fetch about the 350 mark already. So there, there's three that uh, have uh, taken off for you. The um, the Erebus Bathurst win is an interesting one simply because I guess yeah, that, that was in our infancy. Maybe people didn't have, you know, didn't know who we are. We, you know, we weren't necessarily out and about in the market quite as, as hard and as prominently as we are now. So that one, I'm not sure whether it slipped through people's radars a little bit. But when you look at the quantity of cars made, particularly, you know, triple eight winners, et cetera, of the past, then you look at what we're doing for for McLaughlin and, and Shell V Power with the Mustang, the anomaly in it in terms of volume is that Erebus winner. Yeah. So the you know, what are we two and a half, somewhere around that? Um, you know, half, effectively half of what we're gonna do for for the McLaughlin car. If you've got a Bathurst winner collection and that one slipped through the net, um, you're going to end up paying a, a pretty penny for it. Yeah. What's the moral of the story? Pre-order. Moral of the story is pre-order. Always is, always has been, yeah, always will be. be. Yeah. yeah, well, even yeah. more so than uh, previously. And Dim and I have covered it off in previous weeks here because we get collectors who are upset that they've missed out on a certain car but they didn't put their pre-order in to start with. So the manufacturer doesn't make as many. So therefore there's not as many available and they miss out. And then the prices are up because in secondhand land, they're, um, they're more expensive because there's not many of them because not enough people pre-ordered. So it's yeah. a pretty simple formula really when you stop and look at the way that it all rolls along down the line. And, and I understand the collector's frustration as well around pre-order. And I can see why, you know, at times people would be like, oh, well, I've pre-ordered that. It's taken years for it to get here and rah, 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 and a whole raft of reasons why they shouldn't pre-order. But at the same time, if we're sitting there trying to, and again, I'm preempting a, a potential question here, but um, <laughs> when we're sitting here trying to decide what we do and how we do it and when we do it and all of those sort of questions that are complicated questions in, in reality, like, it, again, I often say we make model cars, you know, this shouldn't be rocket science. Um, there's nothing particularly difficult about it, but every step of the process adds, adds, uh, 
adds its own complexity and decision making on what we do and how we do it and when we do it. Um, it comes down to, is there any interest in the market? And someone can say on the internet, <laughs> like many people can say on the internet, um, that they think that it would be a good seller and that there are thousands of people who would wish to purchase one. But if they don't put their name on a list somewhere, then no one's going to know and no one's going to make it. Whether that be myself, whether that be Bianti, whether it be Classic Collectibles, whether it be any other model car manufacturer, um, it's not going to get made unless we've got an order in the system for it. It's, mm. it's really, really simple. Um, and that, that's just that's the way it is. <laughs> hey, we've got plenty of questions, Dim, so let's uh, roll through them. But there's one quickly um, that's not so much for Will, but Will could probably chime in here, actually. Uh, oh, so here we go. Don't, well, steady on. We're not attacking <laughs> you for a second. Uh, Dave Petty said he wants to thank you personally, Dimitri, for uh, over 15 years of supplying him with his diecast model car collection. I'm guessing that's a big collection in uh, 15 years. But his suggestion, I don't mind this. I reckon we could do this. He said, what about if you had a collector join you for a customer's point of view, hint, hint, for a future podcast? I think Dave... Is angling for a spot on the podcast. Well, I think he is, and uh, it's a great suggestion. And I appreciate Dave's input and his and his support over the years. He's uh, he's based in in New Zealand, and he has a, a massive collection. And he would be great to have on. So we'll have a good look at that. All right, um, we will look into that for a future episode. We might have a collector's corner. We might have to. To call it, but let's uh, roll into the questions. We've got so many of them, and it's great to have Will um, with us. So we'll, we'll bowl into them. Um, I think probably Dim, you've got a couple to, to bowl in first with before uh, we get to our listeners' ones. Uh, no, I'm done. You done? We're, we're up to the uh, to the collectors now. They can grill in. Okay. Well, uh, first one I've got. You're here. soft, Dim. You yeah. you went soft on me there. Yeah, yeah. I was expecting far harder than that. So let's hope the uh, let's hope the uh, listeners. Mate. Listeners have come up with some crackers. <laughs> All right, have to bounce to the helmet then. Uh, <laughs> I think a lot of the listeners will are really keen to understand the business side of things a bit more. Obviously, they're they're very tuned into the the cars, the history, of the sport, the um, the who's who in the zoo of drivers and teams and stuff like that. But one of the questions here is, how many diecast or resin cars can you get from a mould or scales? I guess it's as, as many different liveries or teams or commercially viable uh, situations you can get. But how do you determine what you can get out of uh, one mould? Yeah, I guess I guess I read that question slightly differently to to you, Noons. But you know, in terms of in terms of what we can make off a mould, it's 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 as many as you say, as many liveries or colours or fantasy ideas that we can come up with that, you know, some collectors enjoy and some collectors vehemently oppose. Um, from that point of view, you know, the, it's, it's, it's effectively infinite. In terms of the way I read that question um, was more along the lines of how many actual units we can punch out out of a mould and effectively diecast is, is infinite really with with maintenance of the mold and, and effective storage etc of of the mold um, the mold is there until it's crushed or converted or modified into something else in terms of a resin mold um, they last about 50 units 
and then you make another mold mm. and then you go again. So from that point of view, that's why there's, there's this, um, I guess we try and explain the, the difference between die cast and resin all the time. And we bang on about it pretty hard simply because there's this misconception in the market that resin is the cheaper way of doing it. Um, and, and it's simply not, it's, it's the way we go about making something that is a low volume item, I guess is, is the best way of describing it. So for instance, the, the bluebird that, that we recently announced very is in resin. Very exciting response by the way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, we, we had hoped for a response like that, um, in a previous life, Zap's rat, the drag car similar theory, you know, a, a car worthy of being made into a model car, but is it worth the 150 odd thousand dollar investment into a mold? And it just simply, sorry, into a die cast mold. And it just simply, the maths don't stack up because with the Bluebird, really there is maybe two, possibly three iterations of that car that could be produced the first one being the pole car is the, you know, is the, the granddaddy of them. That's the, that's the one notable performance from that car. Um, everything else is going to be kind of a little bit so-so. Um, so are we going to get you know, 10 to 15,000 units out of a mold to make it viable in die cast? No. You know, I think, I think we're sitting at about 1500 for the bluebird somewhere thereabouts. Um, noons, as soon as uh, I know, as soon as we released it, you were, you were onto me because Glenn Hell Seaton, yeah. Glenn Seaton drove it uh, down in Tassie one year. It wasn't even a touring car round. Um, oh. <laughs> but you know, again, definitely a possibility, but you, you know it because you're an anorak. Um, I didn't realize that he took it down to Baskerville and did a, a non-championship round in 1983 or 1984 or which, whatever year it was. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in, in the general populace, they're kind of going to look at it and go, what, what was that? Oh, a Glen car. Yeah. Okay, cool. A Glen car, but I might do two or 300. Yeah. And, and that'd be the grant. So, okay. So now we're up to 2000. Well, we're still kind of eight to 12 away from, yeah. from being able to simply amortize the cost of a die cast mold. So that's, that's where the, the, the difference in mold and what you can do with a mold comes into it. And then obviously it's, there's a cost factor and I'm kind of probably again, covering several questions here, but then there's the, the cost factor. So die cast is cheaper to make. So it's cheaper to produce die cast. Cause again, once the mold's there, you can smash out sort of as many shells as you like. Um, then it's just a matter of painting them and decorating them. Um, but with resin, as I say, after every sort of 50 uses of the mold, um, you throw that mold away because it deteriorates over time. Um, and so eventually it just it becomes unrecognisable as a bluebird, for instance. Um, so you cast a new mold and you start, the process again so very very labor intensive to produce the the raw material to then decorate and and paint and put in the carton and ship it down to us so the cost per unit is much higher for a resin product because of that labor intensive nature um 
so that's why when it comes to the sticker price on the shelf, there isn't a huge difference between the two. And again, you know, economics 101, the more you make, the cheaper it gets. You know, that's what we all learn in, in year 10 economics. Um, but because the processes are so vastly different, the volume doesn't really come into it much. Um, and, and again, from, from a painting and decorating point of view, that's where the labour intensive, you know, anyone that's done a Tamiya kit or a model kit of any kind knows that you can assemble one in about an hour and a half. Um, but if you want to paint it and make it look good and put all the decals on and have it really as a pristine thing that you're willing to put on your shelf, that's the bit that takes weeks to get that right. Um, if you just open the box like I used to do when I was 10, <laughs> just glue the thing together and then maybe get the paintbrush out once it was all assembled, but I was so impatient that the thing just had to go together straight away, that's easy. That's, that's the fast bit at the end sort of thing. It's the, it's the time-consuming part of actually decorating them, putting the, the correct livery on them, making sure all of that's correct, all of that sort of stuff that just keeps adding to the price. So you know, we, we could probably do a Mustang that just had a couple of shell pectins, for instance, and no other logo on the car and, you know, miss out all the other logos and all the other sponsors. And we probably could produce it a bit cheaper than we do today. But would the collector want it? No, because half the decals are missing. You know, it's not right. It's not accurate. This is what, there's a balance between the two. Um, and then there's the whole decal versus tampo argument that I'm sure we could dedicate another 84 podcasts to because that is such a, yeah, yeah, but that, because that's such a complex part of the, um, of the process as well. Well, the process is complex overall, but um, we'll keep moving through the questions because there's so yes, many sorry. and we don't want to keep you for too long, but it was a, it was a great... Let's limit the answers to 10 minutes, Will. No, That's no, what no, you're no, saying, no. yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> the answer is what the answer is because I think our <laughs> listeners will get even more insight than they had before they started listening. So, hope so. Um, hope so. That's the plan. There's value in the answer. Don't worry. Next question's... Um, uh, what's the usual terms in terms of licensing fees to a team or a manufacturer. So do you make a one-off payment? Is it a percentage of sales? Is it a bit of a combination? Is every deal different? I think that's an, a really interesting question for the collector. Obviously, we don't expect specifics of numbers, but in terms of the general way that those arrangements work. The short answer is everything's different. <laughs> um, it, it, licensing and the licensing side of our business is really we could have a full-time employee do it and and run it and it would keep them busy the whole time um as i say it varies there's there's kind of the overarching you know we, we obviously are playing in the supercar market predominantly at the moment um so there's the overarching holden ford license depending on what we're doing. Then we have a supercars license on top of that. So that sort of, that sets the foundation. They're very long-term uh, arrangements that we have in place. Once we've got those, then it's, then it comes down to the team. And, and in some cases, depending on who it is, it could even be the driver, not the team. So depending on, as I say, sort of towards the tail end of the grid, things are done a little bit differently. Um, but at the top end of the grid, basically it's normally a multi-year deal. It involves a small 
truck of money um, that gets delivered to their door over a period of time. Um, whereas sort of down towards the other end of the grid, it's more, more a case of, you know, a case by case model by model basis. Um, sometimes even on, on the basis of, you know, the team want something and place an order and kind of, we might put it out to the rest of the general populace to make the numbers up sort of thing. Well, how competitive is it between yourselves, you know, Bianchi and Classics to get those main teams? Is it, is it quite competitive? Um, I would say yes. There is a reasonable amount of competition between the teams too on, on what they want. Um, which then is up to the, the model manufacturers as to whether we're willing to play ball almost. Um, the, the market has changed markedly over the years. Um, back in the, in the golden era of HRT, um, it was sort of name your price and, and the, the, the biggest number one kind of thing. Um, whereas nowadays it's, it's a little more... I think we as manufacturers are a little bit more savvy because there just isn't the, there isn't the dollars in it that, that there may have been in the past. So we have to be a bit more careful about where we spray our dollars. It's why not every car has a logo on it. Um, you know, there, you won't find an authentic logo on a Shell V Power Mustang, for instance, um, because we just, the number's not big enough, <laughs> effectively. Um, whereas at, at Tickford, we've got some logos, you know, Bianchi have their logos on most of the cars that they're involved with because it's just, it's a difference of, of opinion on, on where, you know, where we hold our value and, and what we want out of our respective deals as well. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it varies, but it's, it's massively complicated um, yes, it's reasonably competitive, um, but there's so many other factors that, that go into it. Uh, Chris Willis has got the next question, Will. Uh, it's an interesting one. How and who makes the decisions on what model or livery gets done? Is it all down to you? Me, it's all mine. No, that's, <laughs> that's a bit rough. Um, no, it, Chris, Chris is, Chris is a, a big fan of ours and I, and I love him. He, he's in contact with us pretty regular and, and he's a big Erebus fan. So he's pretty keen to always hear about our Erebus stuff that we've got coming out. Um, it, it's, a little, it's a little varied. You know, again, team land, if we've got a deal, well, it rolls out and they roll out over time. And, and yes, you know, particularly with Erebus, we were kind of, there was sort of a, a a 12 month gap there where it was all a bit up in the air. The team were a bit up in the air. We were a bit up in the air. Everyone couldn't make a decision. Um, and, and cause you know, some of that came down to, to money at, at our end and their end, I'm sure, um, as to what they were looking for and, and what we were prepared to give, et cetera. So we were a bit behind the eight ball there. So because Erebus are so good at delivering liveries to their partners and, and what have you, and we've got a back catalogue that we need to chew through and we could do them all in one hit. You know, we could dump them all on the collector. We could dump them all in terms of order form, et cetera, but that's not going to benefit the collector, me, Erebus, people like Dimitri. Um, you know, so we just have to roll it out in a, in a 
timely fashion. So, again, is there a decision-making process on what we're going to make? Not necessarily because we're going to make it all. Is there a process of, of sort of drip feeding it out to the market, managing, managing the market, managing production, managing stores like Dimitri, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's probably more the decision-making process. Um, in terms of other things, you know, that are non-supercar related, then it's a bit of a committee decision by committee um, and and noons is quite often involved in the decision making by committee on what um, might be worth worth doing because um, you know there's there's a lot of different factors that come into it including just particularly with the old stuff ability to get research material mm. and things you know it's it's very we're blessed to a degree that there's things like the YouTubes of the world um, that we can find all this old great content that that we can look at and go, oh, wouldn't it be amazing to make dot, dot, dot. Um, but then you go, oh, yeah, but what colour was the interior? Because this grainy VHS copied down to... <laughs> 24-bit copied back up to 4K, it just you can't tell what colour it is even. Um, and so that's some of the challenges with the Bluebird, for instance, um, is just getting those period picks, um, of which I know a bloke who's yeah, got yeah. a re reasonably large archive, um, to just go back. And even, you know, as, as Noons will attest, even then, it's, you just you think that you've got photos of everything until you actually go and look for it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's hole there's holes because because yeah. why would you take photos of the you know back of a bluebird seat or something? <laughs> you know, no, oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, no one's going around taking the photo of the back of McLaughlin's seat now to work you out what it. Well, maybe I have, maybe you um, have. but <laughs> but that's slightly different. I'm making it now, you know, and and things like, like like people would be amazed, you know, with with Mustang, for instance. People would be amazed to find because I was, because even I didn't realise, and you both know how much time I spend at a racetrack. That they have a blower fan that blows into the back of the seat. Mm. I. <laughs> That one skipped like cool suit. Yes. How many pit tours have I done noons? Like, you know how much I've spent sitting and looking at race cars far too much. Um, but yeah, it's like, wow, there's a new little trick that I didn't, I didn't notice until you sit there and go, Oh, this, that, that, that take photos, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you find all this stuff out. Go the fans. Um, go, go the fans. It's all about the fans, except now where there are no fans. No, that's, that's completely correct. different. They'll be back. They'll be back. Don't They'll worry. be back. They'll be back. Uh, Ed House, and we better keep racing through these. Uh, he listens from the US, which is pretty cool. Um, question is, will Authentics be making any of the Erebus ZB Commodores in 143rd scale for smaller scale collectors because they've got some of the best liveries out there in the supercar uh, pit lane? It is a big 43rd fan. Massive 43rd fan. Um, and the answer is probably yes. <laughs> okay. um, so, again, that's, that's, it just comes down to a tooling, tooling thing. And, again, it's hard. We could make it in resin. We could make it in resin tomorrow. But no one's going to like the price. Um, and so that's where we're stuck in this little little void at the minute of are people going to pay for a resin thing for, for it to be out in the, you know, next few months or are we better off you know, doing a die cast, it taking time and get it out to market, etc., and have the price 
at a more palatable level for the market. And I think that's what we're going to do. Erebus are also, <laughs> as, I, as I said before, it's, it's, they're fantastic that they look after their partners and have lots of different liveries. However, they love a Chrome, <laughs> love a bit of Chrome. Um, and if it's one thing that model car manufacturers dislike the most, it's a little bit of Chrome. Um, so they, they are challenging and they will be very challenging in 43rd. Um, one eighteenth, we can kind of, we can make it work. Um, but in 43rd, it just becomes harder. And in 64th, it would be downright impossible. Um, so again, at a palatable price point. So that's where it becomes a challenge. I tell you what, Dim, we've got a pile of Erebus questions. There's a lot of Erebus fans out there. Um, I know we've got to race through them. Carl Phillips, uh, he's saying, I mean this in a polite way, not a whingy way, but out of curiosity's sake, why was it that the Erebus Kiss livery car came through so quickly, yet uh, there's been an 18-month wait for the Bathurst cars? We just wanted to wait until we had that really good model to start with. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, that again, that was just a licensing deal, etc. You know, we, we were in a position where... And again, the, the politics is crazy and I could go into infinite detail about who owns the ZB, whether it's Holden, whether it's Triple Eight, where the data comes from, who's got the data, how we get the data, all of those sorts of things. Um, but effectively, it took us a while to get it. That, that meant that we had to let go of a few of our Holden teams just in order to let them get their cars made. Um, Erebus were keen to stay with us but it just took time to get that deal done, which meant that the first thing that they wanted to see and we wanted to do was the KISS car. So the the most economical, the best way because of their liveries um, and, and the team's desire to get something in a, in a certain time frame and, and not particularly fussed about whether it was opening parts, et cetera, et cetera, um, meant that the KISS livery was the first thing that came off. Um, so that, that's, and again, that, that changed markedly because from the original design, then to KISS not actually being able to perform in Newcastle <laughs> meant that, you know, there was a lot of changes that were very last minute. So we were lucky to, to get it done in the time frame we did. Well, but there... that also meant, sorry, I should just add Dim, but that also meant that, you know, it, we do have that back catalogue of, of Erebus stuff that meant that you know the kiss car was first but then we've gone back and done some of that other stuff so it's not it, it, it's not that it's chrono chronological order simply because of where the process started the process started at kind of bathurst what were we 18 19 19 um so so the sort of the kiss car was the first and then we've gone back and done some of that other stuff will you do anton's kiss car that's a bit of a licensing question as well. So um, the the team effectively had the right to do the one the one model as we've done it. Um, we're trying like crazy to to do some others as well. You know, obviously there was the Gold Coast car; they were on the podium. You know, that that is a 
car that's worth doing. It was different because, again, it didn't have all the get well pulled stuff on it. It was more the, you know, we are coming to Newcastle at the end of the year. So there's a couple of different KISS liveries that we'd like to do, and Anton's is obviously one of them. Um, I, you know, I've, I've heard the podcast about Anton product and where Anton's future lies and things, and, and I tend to agree with you that his stuff's going to definitely be worth collecting in the future a la McLaughlin stuff. Um, so, yeah, definitely that that's on, on the list if we can get it done. Another one, Will, from Matthew Davies asking, is it possible for Authentic to produce the Peter Brock and cha- i.e. the Peter Brock Trophy, the Bathurst winning trophy, uh, and championship trophies for 143rd scale as separate items? I honestly think they'd be too small. Um, they're, they're not, yeah, they're not big trophies. Um, they're not big trophies. So it just, again, that, that comes down to if you do something, you want to do it right. You want it to look right. Um, you're not going to be able to on a, on a economic mass produced for in one of a better term quantity. Um, you're not going to be able to paint them all and make them all look half decent. Mm. Might be, might be a job for our friend in Perth, Dimitri. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) He's probably uh, making notes right now. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He might have to get his glasses on, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Neil Bartlam's got a question. Any chance do, of doing some of the reveals and model updates like you used to do at your former life um, on YouTube? You used to do a, a segment there, Collector's Corner, where you'd do some videos to announce upcoming releases and that sort of thing. Um, any thoughts of being a bit more of a YouTube star? <laughs> Yeah, because I've got the face for it. Um, it, it. Yes, we've we've thought about it, um, but you know, there's also podcasts like this now that didn't exist before. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yes and no. Um, the 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 one thing with those sort of those sort of things is you've got to have plenty of content to feed the beast. Effectively, there's no point doing them once every few months. It's got to be pretty regular. And at the moment, we're sort of we're not in that position where we've got content coming out of our, you know what, um, to to do that sort of thing. You know, Dimitri's in a lucky position with this podcast that he's not just talking about authentic stuff, unfortunately. Uh, so you've got plenty of content coming through and plenty of stock coming through the shop that there's plenty of things to talk about. But um, we don't have quite so much. So no, I'd rather just come on your podcast a bit more often and spruik my wares so to speak that's okay we can we can allow that as long as you drop some exclusives along the way uh, rob thompson's question is um in terms of future releases any plans to do 80s 90s or early noughties zeros um touring car slash supercar models on the horizon yes full stop moving on next uh, okay, uh, nothing. <laughs> no exclusive there, is there? Yeah, uh, yes, no, is, no though. No, we've got our um, we've got our Sierra one twelve that um, that'll hit shelves in the not too distant future. Um, there's there's some other stuff we're working on in twelfth. Obviously, the Bluebird in eighteenth. Again, it comes down to just having having decent product to to get a scan of and and go from there. Oh, sounds okay. like he's been listening to previous podcasts there, Noons. Big time. Don't, I reckon don't. he's a regular, I reckon he's listened to all six before this one. Don't, don't know mm. what you're talking about. Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Adam Tullock's got a question here. Any chance of you producing a 118th VL Commodore road car? The silence is deafening, isn't it? 
Mm. Um, it's definitely, uh, it wasn't this discussed in a previous podcast, maybe episode number, was it five? Um, uh, I think that's on everyone's agenda, isn't it? Probably. I'd yeah. say so. It's an obvious one. Yeah. It's uh, a race. It's a race. I love a good race. You like a race, you know. Race, race the production, yeah. I didn't know Thomas Bazira was on the motorboat. <laughs> he would appear to have made an appearance. You do, you do the best, Thomas, I know. So. You know. You know. We'll leave the motor. <laughs> well, I, I want to get Thomas actually on our uh, BA Sleuth podcast one day anyway. Uh, but, that, would be, um, that would be a laugh and a half. Yeah, that would be good for Good value. Uh, Yomel uh, asks, why do the models made by Aussie companies come with a certificate of authenticity while the models made by overseas companies don't? Unfortunately, the gentleman you need to ask isn't with us anymore. Um, Trev, Trev Young decided that that would be a good idea and we've, we've been uh, blessed slash cursed with that <laughs> ever since, depending on which side of the fence you sit on. Um, it is one of those anomalies of the Australian market that, um, you know, for instance, auto art, auto art make very few models that have certificates of authenticity um, other than everything that they make that's Australian, just because that's, that's what the Aussie market wants. And from the point of view of being able to get them signed or, or companies like us getting them signed before you get them in your hand, um, they're, a, they're a great, tool for that um but yeah it, it causes a lot of uh confusion let's say at a production level to make sure that the right things in the right product etc etc definitely uh but yeah it's a bit of an anomaly that one that's just that's it's what the australian market has gotten used to and that's how it continues being conditioned for it uh condition for it is uh, in regards to what he thinks might be the longest future release product in the website uh, at Authentic. The 2017 Monster Energy Sandown 500 winning Falcon FGX of uh, Cam Waters, who's having a, a pretty good year, and uh, Richie Stanaway. Um, is it yay or nay? Is it happening? Is it not happening? Where's it all at? Certainly not the longest wait in our future release catalogue by any stretch of the imagination. I think we did that. I think we announced that one in February of this year. So while it's a 2017 car, it was only announced earlier this year. So um, that'll be next month mm -hmm. that, okay. that that's actually landing. So um, that with, with a whole back catalogue of, of cars that, um, that we've been trying to, get made um but just it's they've fallen through the cracks it's kind of catch up time for a lot of our 18th stuff so it'll be uh not not a lot of product but lots of different product um in in the next month or so okay variety is not a bad thing uh colin cole spice, uh, spice of life they say that's it, yes um <laughs> colin cole asks would you consider doing xds and xe falcons and with one twelfths Will you be doing more Bathurst winners and touring car champions? So I'll cover off the the, the second part first. Um, the obviously one twelfth was kind of something that that um, I slash we pioneered at the time, um, and that was that was the general idea was that one twelfths were going to kind of be exclusively um, celebratory type vehicles so it had to win a bathurst it had to win a championship it had to do something pretty pretty cool or be or be a very very cool iteration of something um for it for it to be done um 
So because simply, you know, if you did everything, um, no one's going to have the room for it. It's a very selective, you know, kind of kind of product. Um, and this is me coming as a 43rd collector from a previous life. So I'm used to lots of little ones, not, not tremendous amounts of big ones. Um, so yeah, the, the idea is that definitely it, it'll be some, and, and again, they're resin, so we can do low runs and all that sort of stuff. Um, but the costs of those are, are also going through the roof for us as well. So there's going to be, there's going to be a little impasse here in a minute where where there needs to be a restructure on the price to make them worth worthwhile doing. Um, you know, they're not they're not a vanity project, unfortunately. Um, whilst they are nice, and I do have several of them, um, that it can't be a vanity project. It's got to you know, it's the numbers have to stack up. So again, back in price price rise land that no one likes talking about. Um, there might be another one of those coming through for for one twelfths in the future but as i say still want to do some cool different ones and some old ones and some old bathos winners and all that sort of stuff it's just a matter of finding the content to to scan um and what was the first part of that question um, would you consider doing xd and xes give us it in 10 seconds yes oh yeah there you go that was one nine to nine to spare yeah. wow. <laughs> there's an exclusive good on you <laughs> Um, uh, and, and again, I reckon, I reckon XDXEs are on everyone's list of things to do in the future. So, definitely. Uh, LJ with a question. I'm not sure if he's a Toronto fan or that's just exactly. Sounds like that's she. Oh, oh right, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Penny drops. Penny drops. Yeah, I reckon I know who that is now too. Um, there was a rumor going around because you love a rumor. But you guys were going to do some TCM, Touring Car Masters models. Is this right or wrong? If it's right, love to see Mustang Sally with all her dresses. Mm. Um, again, it's been on the wish list for a while. It's just a matter of, of getting all the ducks in a row to make it work and make it happen. So I'm, I'm not saying no, but I'm sort of also not saying yes. I think that's... Uh... That's as on the fence as you're going to get. That's splinters, that's splinters in thighs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Lance Harper's question, uh, do you have any plans to do a Team Kiwi Falcon BF that Van Gisbergen drove in 07? Of course, that was the car that he uh, debuted in the championship in when he first turned up as a very young teenager. Um, he's actually also made the point that um, he loves the podcast which is always a good way to get your question up on the podcast, by the way, by flipping that in. Um, he says it's interesting. And I think we've covered this too. If someone would publish a book on diecast models, like a reference book to know which ones have been done of which year and car, how many were made by who, all that sort of thing, um, which Jim and I have spoken about before, that that could be something that we could look at in the future. But um, for you, Van Gisbergen, Oren Park, 07, Team Kiwi Falcon. Yes, no, maybe. Don't have a BF. No. Short, short answer. Well, no, sorry. That was the long way of saying no because you didn't exactly, like it when yeah, I said no right, before. Right. right. Um, that'd be a model that'd go right considering Van Gisbergen is, uh, yeah, he's a champion now. And... Yeah, there's, again, we've, we've sort of, we've got this situation where um, in supercar land, sort of if it wasn't done at the time and it's been skipped over, then we're kind of not at that period where you'd go and retool a BF to go and fill the holes because the holes probably aren't big enough 
to constitute doing a new tool. Um, Does it look right having a resin BF next to all the opening parts stuff from the past? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. There'll be two sides of the argument there. Um, So maybe this is one of those things that in 15, 20 years, if we're all still doing this caper, um, then, you know, we look at going back and going, okay, well, you know, we're going to remake that dreaded remake word, um, some Ambrose stuff or, or whatever, you know, in BF land. Um, and that would then give the opportunity to fill the holes as well. You know, not everything would be remade. It's only going to be the good stuff that got remade, but then, you know, some of those gaps would be filled, but they're probably too new to go and, and do it tomorrow. 13 years is not quite old enough. You know, no, I don't. No, no, I don't. I don't think so. I could be wrong there, but no, that's all good. Uh, Dim, Dim's thoughts. Dim's looking. Yeah, I, I was. I was. What's, what's Dim's thoughts on that? Uh, well, look, I think you're right in the way that it's no point you sort of developing that mold right now. But you know, if someone's got a mold like Classic Collectibles, well, it, it's really up to them to 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 utilise that tooling and go back and and look at cars that now can be made that may not have been right at that time, but, but now they are. And we've spoken in previous ex, uh, podcasts about the AU as being one of them. And, and the challenge with all of that stuff is sort of, again, once, once it gets to a, a point in time where you've not used the mould, moulds need to be maintained. I, I guess that's the bit that people may not sort of gather either, is moulds need to be maintained. And if they're not, the cost to actually bring them back up to spec um, and, and sorry, back up to spec, back into working order um, can be a bit of a challenge. So even, even our, because of the process that, that we went through with some factory dramas and things early in our existence, um, you know, the, the VF 118th was the first tool we had, first tool we used to get the, the um, Bathurst winner off. And after the Bathurst winner, it kind of got put to the side because we had the FG that we were doing. Then we had factory dramas, we had typhoons, we had all sorts of stuff happen. So that when you actually then go, hey, we need to get that VF going again, and I'm only talking, you know, 12 months, you go back and look at it and it's, and it's semi-stuffed. <laughs> so you've got to repolish everything, get everything back up to, to speed to actually be able to use it. And so you know, we're talking 10, 15 years, if they've not looked at those moulds for, for a long period or, or as I say, they may have just been crushed and, and be used as, as um, a traded steel because they're worth a lot of money um, as, as scrap um, as well. So you've got to watch that the moulds don't disappear on you. Um, so, you know, it may just be that they, they don't even have them anymore, let alone um, they'd be in a condition to be used. So that's that's another one of the challenges. And, again, you dig it all out, you spend all the money getting it going for a run of 500. Mm. Well, it probably wasn't worthwhile. So, again, that's, that's another one of those challenges where, you know, we turn around and go, oh, well, the mould's there. Mm. Mm, what is it? Number one, find it because <laughs> we've all got lots of molds sitting around because each car too is, you know, it's 10, 15 molds. It's not a mold that does one car. The, the best way of thinking about it is if you, again, going back to model kits, if you open a model kit, 
and you unpack everything and you've got all the sprues out on the table and the, you know, the body shell and then the wheels over there and the tires over there and you've got it all spread out. Basically every one of those parts, every one of those sprues is a mold. Mm. So you count them up. If there was 10, 10 sets of sprues or, you know, eight sprues, a body shell and, and the, the tires, it's, it's 10 molds. So that's, that's where you've got to maintain every single one of those molds, make sure it's all good, make sure they're regularly oiled and maintained and are still in working order so that you can go and smash them out again. So basically, no to the Van Gisbergen Falcon. Oh, yeah, short answers are what you're <laughs> after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> well, edit that. Yeah. Edit that. <laughs> yeah, choppy, choppy. <laughs> um, uh, Nick's got another question. We're nearly at the finish. We've got a couple to go. Um, he's wondering, will you do more dirty version V8 supercars, as in what they look like at the end of a of a race? He's got the Erebus uh, Bathurst winning dirty version, and reckons it's uh, it's pretty cool. And he reckons to have a dirty version of the Scotty car would be pretty cool. Some more dirty. Uh, it sounds bad. Uh, some more dirty car plans. Will. The dirty version. The dirty version. Um, we love a dirty version. Um, look, it's one of those things that. You just you wanna you wanna be able to just offer different things, and that's you know you guys have spoken about it a heap. Having accessories, having different things. He's listened to the podcast. Dude. He has listened to the podcast. Yeah, he's sprung. Um, you know, the, as much as it's entertained the internet again, you know our, our DJ Rock, you know the replica of the Rock. Like, how is this World War Three? that we decided to make a replica rock. If you don't like it, then please don't purchase one. But if you'd like it for your collection and you'd like it to sit next to your, to your Falcon from the past or as a part of your DJ collection, then go right ahead. I am offering it to you. Please purchase it or at least pre-order it from Dimitri. There we go. We got, we got all the plugs out too in this one. Um, so... Yeah, dirty versions are, are great. It's just it's just something different. The issue that we potentially hit up against with Shell, and this is one of those those little licensing intricacies of the whole process, is Shell are very very protective of the pectin of their logo. Um, so to to damage it, in inverted commas, by spraying some dirt on it or putting a scuff mark of a tyre down the side or whatever, that doesn't necessarily sit well with their brand. So it's it's just a little more of a, a discussion piece that we need to have with them. And while we've got 20 other clean versions of, of Scotty's and Fabian's car we can do. We'll concentrate on those first, I think, but definitely dirty versions. Just, it's something different. It's, it's why, why, why wouldn't we want to do just something cool and different and new? And if there's enough people who are interested in it to make it viable, then do it. And if you don't want it, you don't have to have it. So it's pretty And cool. And I'm sorry, I forgot his name, but obviously he enjoyed the model and he's got a dirty version and he thinks it's great in his collection and and let's make more for him. That's, that's my argument. <laughs> Good theory. Um, Oliver Sheehan says, great podcast. Good start. Tick. Question Tick. Uh, shame it's only fortnightly. I reckon we'd have enough to talk about weekly, but I, I don't think we've all got time in our week to be able to do it. Um, the way I'm going here, you can split this one in two. Yeah. <laughs> I think we just did our first two-parter in this one. <laughs> um, he says, look, 
tough question, but look, he, he's fronting up with this one. Um, I like it. It's worth asking. He said, what are you doing as a business to, to correct some of the quality issues that have plagued some of your, your recent models? He says he collects all brands um, and he's not experienced any of the quality issues he's had with some of yours. He said, one example, I went through eight DJR Team Penske retro cars before I found one that was acceptable. And I've seen some issues with Erebus mirror finish cars as well. So uh, it's a constructive question. He's not trying to smash you up, but he's uh, just keen to know what can you do about it and, and or is it out of your hands? It's, it's a little from column A and a little from column B there. So, uh, and, I, and I have to be careful with my wording here so I don't sound like I'm, I'm not taking the feedback on, which we definitely do and we definitely are. Um, we're not the only one with quality issues. Um, having run another company prior to this one, um, the challenges are the same, the issues are the same and the quality issues are the same. Um, maybe it's me. Um, so the challenge of, of hand making and hand producing a couple of thousand identical models that, that one person may deem to be acceptable and another person deemed to be unacceptable is bloody challenging. Um, so whilst I appreciate that they are expensive and while I appreciate that people want perfection these days, that's not always going to be achievable. So from, you know, gentleman there, you know, says he's gone through eight cars to find one, blah, blah. We, we don't always, but we do tend to go through everything that lands in our, in our warehouse. And if it's left our warehouse, we've, we've effectively deemed it to be acceptable. Um, if it gets dropped in transit and a rear wing falls off or a side skirt breaks or something, you know, it, it may rub in the box. And so it rubs the paintwork on the roof a little bit or something. Well, again, semi out of our hands, do I think it's acceptable? No. Do we do our best to try and fix it for the customer? Absolutely. But also at the same time, I only have a limited volume of cars. You know, I don't, I don't certificate a thousand cars and then have 500 sitting in the corner for issues. So I'm not going to be able to fix or repair everything, but we certainly, you know, I like to think that customer service is front of mind with, with our business and noons, you would, again, you'd be well aware of, of the customer service side of my business with, with what we've done in the past together. So it's, it's a really, it's a challenging, challenging product to produce. There's so many moving parts in the product. There's so much time taken to make the product that, small imperfections are just something that we, we can't, we can't totally eliminate. Um, if I charged 1500 bucks and it was a CMC quality detail, etc., then, you know, it's vastly different product. It's a vastly different price point. The manufacturing processes are vastly different. There's a lot more people. It costs more money. So at the end, we, we have a situation where we're trying to balance the production quality 
and what the final product is and the, and the detail level and all those sorts of things, bearing in mind they don't start, you, you can't, you know, they don't run. You don't put petrol in them and, like, they're, they're still – they're built to a specification um, and then have a, a price point at the other end that is acceptable to all players and all comers. And I've heard the argument, too, of, oh, well, I, wouldn't, I couldn't care less if they cost $500. I want one that's right. Okay, you may be in that category and you may be in a position to be in that category and, and that's fine, but not everyone is. Mm. And Dimitri knows, you know, from, from your customer base, Dim, there is a, there is a point where people go, mm, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't buy that. I would really like it, but I just can't do that this week or this month or this year. Um, so there's, there's a balancing act in the middle and we, we have to kind of hit that. And that means that the odd imperfection in inverted commas slips through and it's not, it's not what I want. But at the end of the day, you know, no, I'm not sitting at the end of the production line flicking models off. Like you see in those factories with the air blower that blows a biscuit off the production line, if it's the wrong color or the wrong shape. Um, and if I did, then again, you know, the factory would produce 5,000 cars for me and I might reject 2,000 of them. Well, I'm still being charged for those 2,000. Like they've made them. Mm. The, the, the raw materials are still used. The paint is still used. The production time was still there, but we didn't like that the bonnet pin was, you know, three degrees out. Uh, well, mm, still paid for it. So, and again, if you had that rejection rate, then chuck it on the price at the end. Um, so it's a balancing act and, and it's a challenge and it's one of the challenges that I faced at my previous company and the current person there on a previous podcast, um, faced the same challenges in his business and the business he's now in and the business we were both in previously. So it's just, it's just one of those, one of those issues. Uh, good to go. That's part, that's part three of the podcast. Next. <laughs> <laughs> There's always plenty to talk about, no doubt. Uh, Marty asks, with Scotty getting his 50th championship race win on the weekend, would Authentic do a model of that version of the Shell V-Power Racing Mustang? And if so, what size? Can we call it the Triple Crown winner? Uh, it might be the people's, <laughs> the people's Triple Crown winner. <laughs> the people's Triple Crown winner. Not according to Colin. People who know will understand that reference. Um, uh, probably not. <laughs> Short answer, probably not. Okay. Um, in, in 2020, there'll be the season car, whatever the season car looks like. Um, then hopefully there's a Bathurst winner. Hopefully there's a championship winner. And if they aren't, then I hope it's a Tickford car. And if it's not a Tickford car, I hope it's an Erebus car uh, or a Techno car. And we go from there. But so no, I... That brings up a question, though. What if Bathurst is the last round and we don't do any more racing this year? And should Scotty be the champion and the Bathurst winner? Uh, can you only make one? I'll be the guy that you can hear crying from Perth. <laughs> <laughs> Won't be pretty. No, I, there'll be one car. Like, it'll, it, you know, there'll just Twice be one car. Be twice as good. Either that or we make the same car twice. I put it in a different box with a different trophy. But uh, I think that I think that would be as they say in the say in the business, taking the piss. Or, so or, I don't think we'll or, do that. or you could have a chat to the crew on a pit stop 
Slap Pull the numbers off. Put some different stickers on the side <laughs> of it. So as the race, the car during the race looks different and you can do two different versions. See, as, yeah, I sold it. As you know, Noons, I am not the first person to suggest to the team that they rip the sevens off <laughs> as it was rolling down pit lane. So I had a number one Shell V-Power Mustang to make, but no. Speaking of other Mustangs, um, everyone knows that you and I uh, are friends. We go way back, but... I don't think I've actually probably asked you this and, it, and it's out of interest as a, a collector and a, a podcast co-host. Um, re Mustangs, because you've, you're doing so many Mustangs, is there the plan that you could do some of those one-off, like the launch livery of the Mustang when it first rolled out for testing? Could you do the, the Dick Johnson Mustang that he drove in Adelaide last year? Uh, plans to do that? Do you think you'd sell enough? What's the scenario with all of those? Do you think... Do you think I'd sell enough Dick Johnson Mustangs with signed Dick Johnson certificates? Probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. No, no, that's on the list. Don't worry. And the, um, and the camo livery that it, that it launched with, yep, that's um, right. not, not many people know, but our talented little artist in, uh, in the office in Perth, Tristan Groves may have actually designed that livery. Um, so yeah, definitely that's, that's on our list because I have the files. Because cool. because they're on our on our computers at the office. Funny that. <laughs> Funny that. So yeah, no, that was. I mean, again, that was that's one of those liveries that kind of uh, alienated. Is that the right word? It certainly, certainly, it was loved certainly cre- created a divide. But mm. it looked cool in the flesh. Yeah. Hey, Dim. Uh, one more question. I think you, you've got a special question that's coming from well left field. Yeah. So this is the last one I will grill you with, Will. But uh, Richard Sparky has sent us a question saying, really love the podcast, especially the one with the director of Bianti. I know you have done some racing in the past. Who's the most famous person you have ever raced in your Formula Ford? What a setup. <laughs> Richard Sparky. I'll tell you who the most famous person is I shared a go-kart with, and it's Richard Sparky. Shame he had a massive shunt when we were at the front. But anyway, still brought it home. Um, oh, <laughs> those enduros we did were cool. Anyway, um, most famous person I've raced against. I should say Andrew Van Leeuwen. Mm-hmm. That's that, it. That, that catch your eye, News. Serious answer. Come on now. Oh, the serious answer. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo. Might Daniel Ricciardo. Sm- might have smashed him up in one or two races. Is it on NatSoft for people to find the proof? Would you like me to send you the link? Yeah. I've got, I've got it here on my phone. <laughs> uh, how long ago was that, Will? Uh, he was about four. And I was still... <laughs> and I was about 54, even though I'm not actually 54 yet. It was a while ago. It might have been his first race. That doesn't matter. Kids no. got my seat. That this is matter. the problem. The kids got my seat. And I'm not bitter about it at all. March. That's a stitch up. Well, that's, that's pretty cool. You lot. Absolute stitch up. <laughs> we went pretty easy on you, I think, all things considered, to be honest. Yeah, until the stitch uh, up at the end. Yeah, yeah like you, you knew that there was something coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Richard um, Sparky. Mate, mate it's, it's been a, a pile of fun. <laughs> Thank you so much for the, the insight to the industry, to what's going on at Authentic Collectibles, to... Uh, your your time in the sport. There's plenty of other topics I'm sure we can rip in on on a, a later episode, maybe a little bit later on in the season. But uh, thanks on, for taking some time to uh, to have a chat with us on the Motor Focus Model Podcast. No, it's an absolute pleasure. You too. It's been great. 
Well bold, everybody. Hey, we better run. Uh, we'll be back in a fortnight's time with another episode of the Motor Focus Model Podcast. Dim, secondhand market. We'll be back next time. More Q&A from our, our listeners who are model car fans like you would not believe. Uh, don't forget, jump on the website, motorfocus.com.au. Join the Collectors Club for a 5% discount. Of course, it's $10 shipping anywhere in the country. So go nuts online and uh, jump on the Motor Focus website. Uh, what's on for this week, mate? You, you got plenty happening? Yeah, well, we're, we're uh, off to Townsville, uh, allowing a crowd up there. So uh, being in Queensland-based, uh, we can we can get up there and um, join in a bit of the fun for the, for the two weekends coming up. Oh, great news. I mean, crowds at events has been such a difficult thing. So that, that's awesome to hear. So if you're in North Queensland and heading out to Townsville to Reed Park for the street track, uh, whereabouts can you be found? Where's the merch area there? I think that's to be decided. Uh, it's going to be a lot smaller, obviously, this year than in the past. So, But I think it's going to be where the where the big tent is normally. The big uh, concert field inside the track. Yeah. Okay, uh, if you're in Townsville uh, over the next two weekends, by all means, keep an eye on the uh, the Motor Focus tent. In the meantime, though, thanks again, everybody, for joining us on the Motor Focus Model Podcast. We will chat to you again in two weeks' time. <laughs>